0: Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. This is Brother Frank, glad you're here. Um, just thankful to be alive another week, and I know we one week closer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and I am so thankful for that. Folks, if you didn't hear last week's program, that was a program that I replayed from when The Remnant Call really just had been on the air just a very short period of time. We didn't have a lot of listeners back then, and it was so powerful, I just had to play it a Captivity with Dr. C.R. Oliver. Folks, I'll tell you, I remember doing that interview. I actually listened to it again last week. I was reconvicted again. That man has so much knowledge and love for the Lord and his people. It is so moving. You've got to listen to it. it, it this is a program that will not only teach, but it will minister to you at the same time. Well, folks, I just wanted to share something real quick. I know many of you are struggling. And, and uh, I hear your struggles, and I want to encourage you because I struggle too at times. My work is overwhelming. Uh, it seems like I've got a million tasks trying to um, run a ministry uh, with, on radio, trying to uh, preach places all over. I serve and different things uh, in, in different ministries and in and, and mission work, and I, I get stressed and I get, get overwhelmed Sometimes you just need to see the Lord's hand, and there are times and seasons where we go through dry valleys, and I, last weekend I was preaching at a church that invited me to come up, a large Hispanic church. It was a bilingual church, but um, so they would have a, an English-speaking service and a, an Hispanic service, but they had once a month a combined unified service and they asked if I'd come up there and I knew I had to speak through a translator. No big deal. I've done that many times. And, uh, but I wasn't feeling it. I, the message, I, I, the message I wanted to share, but I was, I was thinking, how this thing's going to be terrible, you know, kind of, they're not going to understand it. It's not going to work right in translation. And, uh, you know, just all these things are going through their mind. You know, the devil likes to attack before you go to speak. And, and I just, I, the stress of work and everything—I I was just—it wasn't there. And I've got to get up and speak to the Lord's people. And you want to share from your heart and the right thing, but you know, you when it's not there, you just—you know—you you don't feel it. it. It's just how it is. And I got up there and I began to speak. And as I began to speak, the Lord began to work on my heart throughout this message. I was being ministered to while I was speaking and when i got to the end of the message i saw that it was time to make a call and 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 i and i began to bring it to a close and i and i made that call and when i made that call folks what i saw the lord do was powerful And I knew it was God. It had nothing to do with me. I wasn't present because in my flesh I was thinking this was terrible. But the Lord decided he didn't nearly need me, but he was going to allow me to be there to witness what was going on. And when I made that call, I remember the first man jumped up, and he came running down that aisle, bleached, blonde dreadlocks. His hair was bleached out, and he came running down, and he was weeping. And then many more people began coming down, and I watched conviction falling upon this church. I'm not the kind where you're going and knocking people down. I'm not talking. I'm talking conviction of tears and the spirit of the Lord. And I looked over. The pastor was weeping. I was crying, and I see people coming to the Lord, and I realized God had a plan, and he was showing up. It didn't matter what I was doing at that moment. It was all about the Lord right then. And folks, I'm telling you, I needed to see God move like that that day. Now I share that with you because I had been struggling. I had been going through some tough things with work and everything like that. And, but the Lord reminded me that day that He still has everything in control. And He loves me. And He is about saving souls. And everything I'm doing in work, yes, it pays the bills, but it's not about me and what my work is. It's about Him and His kingdom. And I wanted to share that with you, folks, because I know you're struggling, many of you right now. But keep your head up. It won't be long. The Lord is coming soon, but He's got a work for us to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank You in the name above every name, Yeshua, Jesus that you are about saving lost souls. I pray tonight that this program... It's going to be on with Pastor Carl Gallups, Lord. It will be about saving souls because you are doing a work right now, not only here in the United States, even though many of the churches are asleep, but you're doing it among your remnant, among people that are waking up, but you're doing a powerful work also, Lord, over in Israel and other countries right now where people are waking up to the times and they're recognizing that Yeshua truly is the Messiah. I pray you bless this program in his powerful name, Lord. Amen. Well, tonight we got a very special program. I got a book in the mail the other day from a man who I really think so much of, and that's Pastor Carl Gallup's. And I get books from different people, and I'm always very thankful for that. But getting to know Pastor Gallup's and meeting him in, in person and everything, I've realized that some people, they're just the real person. They're the actual article. What you hear, what you see is actually what you get. And so when I saw this book come out, it happened to be written not only Pastor Gallus, but a very good friend of mine also, and that's Messianic Rabbi Zev Perot. And the book is called The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of Messiah. And I asked Pastor Carl if he would come on tonight because I wanted him to not only talk about that but also talk about Zechariah 12. What is going on, folks? I feel like this is exploding right now, and so many churches are silent. Well, with that intro, I'm going to bring Pastor Carl Gallops on. I know all of you are very familiar with Pastor Carl, and so I'll bring him on. Pastor, are you there with us?
1: I am here, Brother Frank. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that gracious, undeserved introduction. God bless you, Brother. You're, you're, a, you're a treasure.
0: Well, Pastor, I I really do appreciate you, and um, folks, listen, in case I dare forget, you can check everything else, everything that Pastor Carl's doing. Keep up with him at carlgallops.com, but Pastor, you have been a person that I uh, realized. I was talking to my wife earlier. You are into what's going on right now. You stay on the edge of stuff, and you keep us informed, and we appreciate that. Pastor Zechariah 12 is something that is in front of the world right now, and, and it's exploding. And yet I feel at the same time, so many pastors, so many pulpits are so quiet on, I feel, one of the most obvious things that are going on. That is the parts about Jerusalem becoming a, a stumbling block under the whole world. Uh, everybody will be burdened with it. Talking about a time when, when they will weep for the one that they pierced. Pastor, you are into this. What is going on right now? How does Zechariah 12 tie into the world right now and ultimately into the book that you just released?
1: Well, well, thank you, brother. Listen, let me just begin. No, you're, you, you've nailed it. You're absolutely right. And, and and we're in agreement on this. Let me just begin by saying, we are living in the most profoundly prophetic times since the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't set dates. I don't run around wringing my hands, the sky is falling, sky is falling. I just know what the Word of God says. I don't claim to be a prophet. The prophets have already spoken. They're in the Word of God. And if we study those passages in context and then look at the world around us, the the, the convergences of biblical prophecy – that have occurred unprecedentedly in our own lifetime, and only our lifetime, out of 6,000 years of human history, it is, it is astounding. And what scares me to death, as, as, as we were just talking about, is that so many of God's people don't see it, and they don't get it. And, and, and I can explain why that is in a moment. I, I, I teach and preach on this a lot, how we miss prophecy. How prophecy works and how we miss it, how generations miss what has happened in their midst. But in the meantime, no, you're absolutely right, brother. What is happening in Israel, the Middle East, Jerusalem, is, is off the charts prophetically significant. Yet most of pulpits aren't even speaking about it. Now, the bottom line is, when I said we're living the most prophetically profound times, and we're the first generation to see these convergences, let me just run through them very quickly, and then I'll just jump right into Zechariah 12, because this is where it all begins. But we are the first generation to see the fulfillment of the 2,700-year-old prophecy of the return of geographical Israel to the land. That happened 70 years ago. We just lived through the 70th anniversary. That number 70 is a very important prophetic number. And then just a few months ago, we saw the restoration by legal decree of Jerusalem as the capital. Another 2,700-year-old prophecy that happened just a few months ago. We're still in the midst of it, yet most Christians are just going about their business, paying their bills, mowing the grass, and Kind of don't even realize what's happening. Most pulpits were, were silent on it unless they wanted to be overtly political about it one way or the other. But they missed the prophetic significance. Zechariah 12 it ties into it uh, several passages in the New Testament out of the mouth of Jesus himself. It all ties into that. Now, when we consider that those two things alone are just astounding, then also consider that when Israel returned to the land, 70 years ago, brother, there were only grainy black and white televisions with two or three network channels that you might be able to get if you had the antenna up high enough and somebody on the roof twisting it when you <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's the technology just 70 years ago. That was the technology, brother. And and the newspapers were always days behind, sometimes weeks behind on international news. And, and and that was the best we had, and we thought we were living in the golden age. Look what's happened in those few, in seven little decades. Look what's happened. Brother, we have moved into the space age. We've moved into the Internet age. We've moved into the information, transportation, uh, uh, communication, instantaneous technologies. We've moved into the fields of quantum mechanics and multiple dimensions and and quantum science that has produced everything from MRIs to GPS to lasers to, to holographic images and on and on and on. All of this has burst burst forth. Cell phone technology and it's not cell phones anymore. They're handheld computers is what they are. One cell phone has more computer capacity in it, computing capacity, than than, you know, the the computers of just a few decades ago. The desktop computers. One little cell phone. Our children run run around with them. Almost the entire planet either has one or has access to them. That and then when we consider That we have just gone through, uh, just a few years back, the collapse of the Middle East in a thing called Arab Spring, the collapse of Syria into an irreconcilable civil war, which has brought Russia into the Middle East with troops fighting, killing, launching missiles and bombs. It has brought them into deeper, deeper alliance with Iran, which until the 1930s was called Persia on every globe and on every map. Plus, it has brought China into the Horn of Africa for their first international military base, this huge rising superpower that's shipping their troops into the Middle East, into the hands of Russia, in an alliance with them. Plus, we are watching the fall of Turkey into collapse of Turkey into a new rising revenant Ottoman Empire, They want to be the caliphate, the Islamic caliphate of the Middle East and Asia and Europe and Africa and the world, if possible, like the Ottoman Empire was trying to do. Now that is happening. They are in cahoots, getting closer and closer with Russia. Russia and Iran are in cahoots with North Korea. All of these are nuclear powers or nuclear power wannabes that are connected to the nuclear power of Russia. Plus, we're watching the collapse of borders, Western civilization borders. We're watching the invasion of Islam. We're watching the United States collapse socially. We're watching gay marriage and abortion and sex robots and artificial intelligence and genetic editing. Listen, I could go on and on. I don't want to overwhelm your audience, but the point I'm making, all of this stuff is colliding together, and it all started when the nation of Israel was reborn seventy years ago, now we come to Zechariah 12. Way back, four or five hundred years, but even before the birth of Christ, Zechariah prophesied, and he speaks. I'm just going. I've got it right in front of me, but I'm not going to sit here and read it all the way through. But but I will just I will uh, paraphrase. He speaks of. In that day, and he's obviously talking about the day of the Lord. He's obviously talking about the day when the Lord Himself will return, when the Messiah will present Himself, and the kingdom is on its way. He's talking about the, and 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 the, this is one one of those what theologians call compound prophecies. That is, it speaks of two or three uh, uh, eras, E R A S, eras of convergence. It's there's there's a there's a prophecy in here that speaks of both the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as well as the crucified one who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings returning on the clouds of heaven and the whole world seeing it and weeping, and particularly the people in Israel in that day. Uh, in verse 10 of chapter 12, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look upon me, says the Lord, the one they have pierced but they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. I mean, this, this is just unbelievable. It, but, it, but it speaks of Jerusalem in that day. It will be, it will be a cup that sends the nations reeling. Uh, uh, Jerusalem, will, the nations will come against it. They will form alliances. They will move upon her. The nations of the earth will gather against her, yet she will be an immovable rock for the nations and everyone who tries to come against her God will injure them he will destroy them he'll strike every one of them down he will protect ultimately Jerusalem and his uh the apple of his eye and on and on and on it goes now now Jesus speaks of this he speaks of the nations that will surround Jerusalem in the last days he says that that is a warning to the world that his return is imminent it's a warning that we're living in the very last days well so what does all this have to do with us well, as I said, Jerusalem's back. I mean, excuse me, Israel is back. Seventy years, 2,700-year-old prophecy. Jerusalem is now the lawful, legal, recognized capital of Israel. A 2,700-year-old prophecy fulfilled just a few months ago. And now a few days after Donald Trump signed the Jerusalem Embassy Act, but then later the Knesset went ahead and passed it as law. It's settled law in Israel, recognized by the number one superpower, the United States. And now a dozen other nations are putting their embassies there. It's a done deal. And days after Donald Trump signed that, the OIC met, the Organization for Islamic, the, for Islamic Cooperation. Well, where did it meet? In Ankara, Turkey. Who was the head of it in this meeting? Recep Erdogan the guy that's trying to turn Turkey into the Muslim leadership of the world. What was their agenda? To force Israel to uh, basically to apologize for receiving Jerusalem. And there were actually uh, talks of battle plans potentially being drawn up to, quote, surround and conquer Jerusalem. And then I've got all this documented in a book I've written. Uh, it, be, it and it was in relative well, it was I'm gonna say mainstream media for Turkey and for the Middle East. It's mainstream. It was. Um, it was uh, Yani Safar, I think it's called. It's a, it's a Turkish word, but it's, it's connected. It's very conservative, but it's very connected to Recep Erdogan. He's uh, uh, a big supporter of it. It's published in Constantinople. It's p- published in Ankara. It's huge. And, and, and they had a title of, What If All 57 Muslim Nations Joined Their Armies to Attack Jerusalem? That's what, that was the title. And this came out of the OIC, and then he goes on to talk about in that article about how if they joined their armies, they would have the largest standing army in the world, and they could attack by land, sea, and air, and they could wipe Jerusalem and Israel. They could wipe Israel from the map, push them into the sea, and they could conquer and retake Jerusalem. Well, we're the first generation, brother, in history to see the return of Israel first, and then the return of Jerusalem, and then Days later, for the Muslim nations to have this huge conclave to talk about how can we conquer Israel and surround Jerusalem and capture it, coming right off the pages of Zechariah 12. So we're living it. We're living it, Brother Frank. We're right in the middle of it. Now, again, I'm not claiming any days or times or setting dates i'm not saying this is that in other words you know the 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 attack hasn't happened the surrounding of of the literal surrounding by armies has not happened politically they're drawing the net on them for sure but but I'm saying, we're living in the edges of all of this. Listen, Ezekiel 37, you know, your audience knows, uh, prophesies the return of Israel in the last days. Ezekiel 38 goes on to say, and when that land, when that nation has returned, a certain alliance of nations will form. And it's Gog, Magog, and, and Persia, and Beth Togarmah, and, and on and on, all these tribal names, and people debate who's who and what's what. The bottom line is, It at least includes probably Russia. It at least includes uh, um, Iran because it says Persia, and that that was their name until the 1930s. It at least includes Turkey because several of the tribal names that are listed in Ezekiel 38 are directly connected to Turkey, directly. And it at least least includes parts of northern Africa because they're named in there. It at least includes most of the Middle East because those regions and tribes are named in there. So we're watching that happen. Even Orthodox rabbis who deny the name of Christ, who never give any credence to the New Testament at all, they have been uh, quoted in mainstream Israeli news in the past two years as saying, we are watching Ezekiel 38 build right before our eyes. So all over the world, Brother Frank, people understand there's a prophetic spirit in the air. There's a demonic outpouring in the air that's that's uh, concurrent with that. Um, we're watching it happen. We're living in it. We're living in the midst of it. Unbelievable, unprecedented things are either coming forth in our lifetime or are converging in our lifetime. I mean, we haven't spoken even of sex robots. We haven't spoken of CRISPR-Cas9. We, there's so many things that that we haven't even mentioned tonight. But when all of these things are taken together, we understand that, oh, my gosh, something is happening. And, you know, all over the world, Brother Frank, people feel this. People talk about it. Get on the Internet. I mean, people that don't even know the Word of God, they're saying, What's going on? We're going crazy. Listen, the World Health Organization just the other day quoted in mainstream media, reported again for the nth time and for several decades. They reported the figures and statistics again, and once again, worse than ever, the number one leading cause of death in the globe is abortion. The womb of the woman, the seed of the womb of the woman. What does that ring, what does that sound like? Genesis 3.15, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God said, from the womb of the woman will come a seed that will crush your head, destroy your kingdom, Satan. Here we are in these prophetic times, Israel's back, Jerusalem's back, internet, going to the world, global pervasiveness of a demonic outpouring. And what's the number one cause of death in the whole globe for several decades now, destroying the seed from the womb of the woman, revelation twelve twelve comes to mind. woe unto you, Earth, because Satan has been thrown down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short, and like a petulant child that knows he 's been defeated he 's now bringing forth a scorched earth policy. And because God pronounced his judgment was coming from the womb of a woman and the seed of that womb, Satan is now sticking his finger in God's face and saying, okay, I'm going to burn down this whole thing called the womb of the woman and the seed that comes from it. Because on Calvary's cross and the resurrection, the seed did come from the woman and his kingdom is defeated and Satan knows it. So these are the times we're living in, Zechariah 12, is bursting forth before our eyes, and it's time for the church to wake up. Now, here's what I tell. Here's the balance, Brother Frank. I tell churches and pastors, look, don't... you know, don't, don't, don't get caught up in the, in the crazes of, of setting dates and declaring dogmatically on this date the rapture is going to happen or on this date the Lord's going to come. I mean, all of that craziness is out there, and the Word of God tells us not to do that. We're also told not to have a spirit of fear. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the demonic realm. We're also told that we are to walk circumspectly. We are to discern the times we live in. Why? Because we are ambassadors for the kingdom. We need to be intelligent. We need to be able to accurately handle the word of truth. We need to be the salt. We need to be the light while there is still light for us to work in, Jesus said. So we've got work to do. But in the meantime, guess what we have to do? We're only here for 70 or 80 little short years if we're blessed. So we've got to mow the grass, and we've got to pay the bills, and we've got to educate the kids, and we've got to make our house payments, and we've got to pay our taxes, and we've got to plan for the future because we don't know the day or the hour. But in the midst of that, we must never lose sight of why we're really here. We're really here to be ambassadors for the coming kingdom that is soon on its way, maybe in our lifetime, Brother Frank. And if not, it'll be just a generation or two after us, which makes us the prophets to those generations. So either way you cut it, we are very important people who have been raised up for a very important time. The scriptures are coming to pass. The prophecies right before our eyes. We're immersed in the middle of it. And that's where we are. Now, I'm going to take a breath and let you talk or ask questions or preach or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then, if you don't mind, I'd like to give my illustration of why so many people miss such obvious prophecy? I, and I think this will help give perspective. But thanks for having Absolutely. me on, and thanks for asking me that question.
0: No, I appreciate it. And, Pastor, there's um, you know, all those things, and, and really I'm thinking about everything you just told us. And honestly, that's like just scratching the surface. Yes. That's how much is being fulfilled in our eyes. The heavens are screaming out. Through yeah. the absolute signs, even in the heavens that the that things have changed we 're not in the same this we 're not in Kansas anymore Toto you know this yep. is a different era that we 're in pastor and I would like to um like you to share that with us uh why we are missing this because um I want to lead after that into another question, because I feel like that's going to come into what your newest book is about, because that ties in to Zechariah 12, and that's specifically dealing with what it says in verse 10. But Pastor, please share with us, what is it that, why are we having so much trouble with all the things that you just shared with us? Why cannot churches share that with their congregation? And if it is, it seems like it's very few that are doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, first, let me, no, that's an excellent, excellent point. Let, let me just uh, speak to how it is that we can be living in these prophetic times and still miss what's right before our eyes, okay? And then we'll address, you know, why it is that people who are supposed to be responsible, like pastors, preachers, teachers, whatever you want to call them, um, evangelists, prophets, missionaries, whatever you want to call them, why it is that so many of them, are silent on these issues. Why Why are they missing it? Why aren't they screaming it? Why aren't they shouting it from the rooftops? Like you said, the things we've been screaming for the last 20 minutes here together just scratches the surface. I mean, we could speak for hours about this. So if we can speak for hours, and it's so obvious, why is it that most pastors in America can't even speak for five minutes about it? Okay, so there's two questions there. How is it that generations miss the prophetic times they're living in and then how is it that the pulpits are so silent on this stuff all right first of all generations how do how do generations miss it here here here's an example the first prophecy of the coming of the Christ was given by God himself Elohim in the garden of Eden in ages past in Genesis 3:15 the words are recorded from the womb of the woman will come the seed that will crush your head all right well we now know i mean the new testament tells us in galatians that that seed is Jesus Christ, of course, and so the womb of the woman, literally the woman, was Mary. Uh, also, we are told that Israel is like the woman. So, out of Israel, the the nation that was going to bless the whole earth, promised to Abraham, comes the line of. David, which results in the line of Mary and Joseph, which results in a literal woman giving birth to a, through the seed, a literal child, literally born in Bethlehem, who literally gives his life on Calvary's cross, etc., etc., pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. It's, it was all very literal, and it was given in the garden. Well, okay, it was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But, watch, so when God speaks a word, it will come to pass. It starts moving forward from the moment he speaks it. So when he spoke that in the garden, it went forth. It was going forward. And Satan knew it. He just didn't know. Listen, when God said those words, Satan then knew how and what and why. But he didn't know who or where or when. <laughs> he, he knew how he was going to die. And he knew why, and he knew what it meant, or how he was going to be destroyed, but he didn't know exactly when, he didn't know exactly where all of this was going to happen, and he didn't know exactly who it was going to come through, and who this seed would exactly actually be. And so from there forward, the whole story of the Bible is the working of humanity and nations and the rise and fall of kingdoms and Satan, the power behind the thrones. That's why I wrote my book several books ago called Gods and Thrones, just kind of tracing this demonic power behind the thrones of the earth down through the ages in this fallen world. Most of it is about Satan first trying to hunt down that woman, hunt down that seed. You remember Pharaoh, Egypt, killing all the baby boys. That's how Moses came about. Remember Herod, New Testament, killing all the baby boys, looking for the seed, looking for the seed. It's because Satan was behind all of this, hating the people, the children of Abraham, hating the people of God, hating Israel, hating the woman that would give birth to the seed that would destroy his kingdom. So All of history really is his story. I mean, that's a cliche now, but it really is. It's all about the whole Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, literally. Revelation 22 speaks of the restoration of the Garden of Eden. That's where it's all been going the whole time, moving that way. Everything in between is about God declaring what he did in the Garden and about it coming to fruition, which means... Generation after generation after generation after generation, dozens of generations lived and died, fought battles, made money, uh, sent their kids to school, did all those things, and then died. But in the meantime, and they didn't see the coming of the Christ. But in the meantime, it was all marching forward. It was building, it was building, it was building. We're living on the other side of it, so we have the advantage of reading the scriptures and reading history and realizing, oh my gosh, God was doing it all along. So it finally comes down to the Roman Empire. And in Bethlehem, because of the decree of Caesar, the child is born. Satan still doesn't understand the whole picture yet, but he's still hunting. And and through Herod, they attempt to destroy but then, along comes Jesus, and he does go to the cross; He does rise from the dead, but here's the thing, brother, when Herod, excuse me, when Caesar issues that decree for the world to be taxed, well, that put Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. We know all of that, but Caesar didn't have a clue what he was doing prophetically; he didn't have a clue, and when the shepherds were greeted by the angelic host and told to go into Bethlehem. Prior to the angelic host getting their attention, they didn't have a clue what was going on in Bethlehem prophetically. Didn't have a clue. But they got up, they went and saw exactly what the heavenly host told them, and they freaked out because they realized they had been visited by angels and that this was something powerful. Not too long after that, probably a year or so, because the Bible says the child is now in a house in Bethlehem, the wise men show up. But first they stop by to see Herod, and, and they, they haggle over with the priests and, 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 and the prophets on where he probably was really going to be born. And they all settled on Bethlehem, Micah 5. And the reason there were disputes, because there were denominations in the, in the Jewish religions, some people said, well, the scripture says he's coming out of Egypt. And others said, well, Isaiah says he's coming out of Galilee, and from the shores of Galilee. And others said, well, he's going to be a Nazarene, a Nazarite. He's probably going to come from Nazareth. Um, other uh, others were saying, no, no, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. And some said, well, no, he's going to come from along the Jordan, from down the Jordan River, because the scriptures say that. So they they, they were factions. Where is he coming from? Where is he coming from? Well, the truth is he came from all of those places. He was born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt, came out of Egypt, went to Galilee, raised in Nazareth, started his ministry along the Jordan River. So all of them, but they couldn't have known that then, Frank, is the point I'm making. And so it's all unfolding, and after the the shepherds saw what they saw, after the wise men saw what they saw, they all went back to life. And the world, by and large, just really missed it until Jesus announces his ministry uh, and John announces him. And then he starts healing, and then crowds of thousands and thousands come. Ten thousand people would gather and listen to him speak, and that sounds powerful, but listen, brother, there were many millions in the Roman Empire that didn't even know what Jesus was doing. I mean, listen, if ten thousand people gather gather in a civic center on the other side of the United States and they listen to Carl Gallup's preach, do you think the rest of the world knows or even cares that Carl Gallup did that? (laughs) no, I mean, unless the media wants to make fun of me or something and puts it in the news other than that, nobody knows that I spoke before 10,000 people on the other side of the United States. Well, the same kind of thing happened. So then he ministers for three years. He's crucified. Look, he's standing right in front of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the Christ, the, the one who's fulfilling all the prophecies in front of their face, Brother Frank. Every day for three years, he's healing, he's speaking, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's raising the dead, he's, he's messing with the elements, he's causing the wind and the waves to, to quit, he's taking loaves of bread and fish and feeding crowds of 10,000, he's healing leprosy, he's healing blind people and deaf people, he's healing lame people right in front of their eyes. And they had the audacity to go to him daily and say, well, if you're really the Christ, show us another miracle. I mean, they missed it, and in the name of God, they crucified the Son of God, outside the temple of God, in the city of God, thinking they were doing God a favor. That's how we miss it, brother. People don't know God's word. They don't connect the dots. They don't follow what God is doing, by and large. Some do. You and I are, and many other thousands are, but most of God's people, even in the United States, don't. Most preachers don't. They're more interested in their little kingdoms like the Pharisees were, paying their building payments, having big buildings, flashy stuff, saying, look what we're doing. Look at our crowds. Well, I can't preach on abortion because I'll lose people. They'll take their money. I can't preach on gay marriage. I'll lose people. They'll take their money, and I can't pay for my buildings. I can't speak on uh, messing with the genders of children. Uh, People will get mad. They'll leave. They'll take their money. I can't talk about Israel being returned because some people don't like it. They'll get mad. They'll leave. I can't talk. And you just go down through the list and litany. And so they preach little fluffy little pieces of, look, let me tell you how to feel good about yourself. Well, Let me tell you how to get in touch with your feelings. Well, here, Jesus says he just loves you. And, you know, well, and, and so that's how they miss it. So here we are living the most prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we're like the shepherds, brother. (laughs) You and I are looking into the basket. We see what it is, and we run out into Bethlehem, and we're trying to tell the rest of the world, and they just shrug their shoulders and say, ah, a bunch of crazy shepherds.
0: That's how it is. You're right. You're right. And and that's sad. I mean, if you think about it, folks, um, how many times is the Lord trying to get our attention while we're busy uh, with something else? Uh, you know, I talked, uh, Pastor Gallups. You mentioned about the number one death, abortion. I had a program a few weeks ago uh, about it, um, and about Moloch, and it was called "In Moloch They Trust," and um, it was it was about obviously the abortion, which the official statistics I saw came out in twenty eleven at fifty one million. I did the addition of since then, and we're about just at about sixty million. Legal abortions. That doesn't count the ones that aren't recorded. So you, we know there's way more than that. The, all of slavery, the Holocaust, world wars. I mean, people have died. What happens in abortion is so much greater than in just this one country, than wars, yeah. than, than yeah. The Holocaust. I mean, it's, it's – and, and the sad yeah. thing is, Pastor, is so many of us are sacrificing our own children – to Moloch, the god of prosperity, as we yep. are worried about our own prosperity while neglecting our families, yep. and uh, I won't, I won't go down that one. I, that program got me so fired up I could barely take myself uh, during it because I was just so uh, upset at what was going on. But Pastor, I wanted to talk about. What you just said, you're right. And this leads into the book that you just put out. And I want to speak about that. And and, Pastor, we might go just a few minutes over because I want to give you a few minutes of time here, if that's okay. Uh, If you need to jump off, let me know. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this because in 2007, you wrote a book that was a game changer. Uh, You know, there are certain things that make changes, but there are, once in a while, something that comes along called a game changer. And that book, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, the Story of Yitzhak Kaduri. Now, you've just come out with a new book, The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of Messiah. And I, when, I, when I said tonight about Zechariah 12, and I hit verse 10. And when I get to verse 10, it talks about all these things that we see is going on in Jerusalem, but then there was another event that had to take place. And that's the part where that they will mourn the one that they've pierced in order to complete this book. In 2007, something happened that I feel really triggered the beginning of this 10. Talk to us about – can you explain to us what you you shared in 2007 and how this new book is actually way more – and what's, what's happened since then, yeah. you, you couldn't even have told the story what's happened now back no. in 2007 unless the you profit. were truly just a pure prophet.
1: That's right, that's right, and I don't ever claim to be a pure prophet, So, <laughs> although I have spoken prophetically. I just didn't know it at the time, you know. I find out <laughs> yes. later, I mean, after I preach and teach and I give my opinion on what I think is going to happen, and it does, I say, oh my gosh, that was from the Lord. But I've never Amen. stood in front of people and said, I am a prophet. Let me tell you what's going to happen. But anyway, no, you're right, 2007, the note was revealed that Yitzhak Kaduri Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri, the most venerated, the most famous, the most prolifically known and loved rabbi in the history of Israel. He was 108 years old when he died in January 2006. And uh, 300,000 people came to his funeral. They shut the streets of Jerusalem down for two days. The president of Israel gave the eulogy. Benjamin Netanyahu and and Yitzhak Kaduri are friends. My first book, which was translated into six languages, went all over the world. A documentary movie was made about it in three languages. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has a copy of that book and that movie at his request. Uh, he knows how big all of this is, and so do many other people. But the reason this is so big is because when he died in 2006, he had just a few weeks earlier told his synagogue uh, congregants that he had met the real Messiah in a vision. He knew the name of the real Messiah, and he knew some details surrounding the coming of the real Messiah. And he was going to put all the name in a note, and give it to his ministry officials and he said I want it posted on my website one year after I'm dead now there's a Jewish reason for the one year after my, I'm dead and in my second book I really describe that deeply Zev Perat wrote this book with me and of course you know he was born and raised in Israel and he was a Sanhedrin rabbi certified and then he found Messiah his father was a rabbi's grandfather's great-grandfather they're all tied to Yitzhak Keduri they know him and his, his other family members are in the Israeli government, high-ranking officials in the Israeli government. So, so Zev is connected to this deeply, and he, he proofed everything I said. He backs everything. He wrote a bunch of it with me. So this story is true. It is accurate. We got it heavily referenced. But the bottom line is he left a note, told his ministry officials, I want it posted. Well, within weeks of saying that, he died. I mean, he didn't know he was going to die. He, he got pneumonia, and he died. And, and so a, a year later, January 2007, the note was posted, but it was written cryptically. And it, it, it just said, what it said was, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, uh, he shall lift his people and prove that the law is valid. Well, that sounds like gobbledygook to an evangelical Christian. I mean, that's not the name of Messiah. But the, problem, the deal was, though, he had been teaching a dozen of his own students secretly in his yeshiva, which is a rabbinical training school that he was the head of. And he had been teaching them about the vision he had and taking them through the scriptures and showing them in the Old Testament that Yeshua, Yehoshua is the long term, Yeshua, the short term, is the real Messiah, which had to have been shocking to those guys because, I mean, that's anathema to Orthodox Judaism. But the bottom line is. They were the ones, after the note was up there for a few weeks, and I'm sure Kaduri probably told them uh, how to translate it so the world could see it. Because if he had just said Yeshua is the Messiah, his ministry officials would have never put that on the website. Never. That would be like if Billy Graham died and left a note, and it said, I had a vision, Mohammed's the real Messiah. Well, nobody would have ever put that on Billy Graham's website, I promise you. So anyway, so they put it up there. It was this cryptic message, but then the students uh, decoded it and put it out before the world. And the ministry went crazy once they saw what it was. And I'll explain how it was decoded. They snatched it down. They destroyed it. Now in this new book, we know how it was destroyed. We know the manner in which it was destroyed. We know why it was destroyed. We know where it was destroyed. Witnesses have come forward, people that are involved. I'm telling you, this story's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, Frank, because it ties right into Zechariah 12, ties right into the prophetic times we're living in. But here's how they decoded it. It said concerning the letter abbreviation of his name. That was the first sentence. Well, that, that, they knew then that this was going to be done in an acrostic. Like Psalm 119 is an acrostic. Every paragraph starts with each successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the 21 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So, so when, he, when it said concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, comma, then they knew that last part, he will lift his people and prove that the law is valid. Well, in Hebrew, that bunch of English words, is only—it's only it's only six words. So they circled the first letter of each of those six words, and it's spelled Yehoshua, Yeshua. <laughs> so there was the name. If there was the name, the name that he promised he would give, the only name on earth that is connected to a crucified, resurrected, pierced you will look upon me whom they have pierced Re- Zechariah 12, Psalm 22 behold they have pierced my hands and my feet uh, Isaiah 53, um, he was pierced for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities I mean, I mean th- that's the only name Yeshua, Yehoshua and that was the name that the world's greatest rabbi in Israel's history left it was shocking well, the deep state and fake news of Israel went into action. Brother, they tried to cover it up. There were death threats, all kinds of stuff I tell in my book. We've got witnesses. We've got it documented. Zev lives in the midst of it. We, we name names. We, we quote quotes. We, we pull stuff off of YouTube, and we show it. And I mean, we quote it, and, and it's just astounding, this story. I mean, it reads like Raiders of the Lost Ark, except that it's real it reads like a novel, a fiction novel, except that it's real, and it's all documented. And again, Zev is tied directly to it and lives in the midst of it. And so you've got, I mean... How prophetic is that? With all of these other prophetic things happening in the world—the return of Israel, return of Jerusalem, collapse of the Middle East, collapse of Syria, collapse of the—you know—Turkey into the Ottoman Empire—and on and on and on. The internet, the, the technology, the wars and rumors of wars, World War III on the midst—you know—borders collapsing, uh, Israel, the world hating Israel, the nations desiring to surround it and destroy it—and in the midst of it. The most venerated rabbi in the history of Israel says, Jesus is Messiah. Get ready. He's coming. Amen. And, and, and brother, that is what Zechariah 12 says about Jerusalem and being surrounded and the nations. And then it says, but on that day, on that day, they will look on me the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. They will realize, and Jews, Orthodox Jews in Israel and around the world, because of this story, they're coming to Christ. So are Muslims. Brother, there's a chapter in there where Zev walks into a mosque, a huge mosque in Israel, and ministers to the imam. It's a long story. It's complicated. I don't have time to tell it on the radio, but read the book he And the imam is saved, brother, because of Kaduri, a Jewish rabbi, declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. And he calls Zev a few months after Zev ministers to him and calls him up and man, I've renounced Islam. This is an imam of one of the largest mosques in Israel. He says, I've renounced it all. He says, I'm a believer in Yeshua, and I'm going to start ministering the gospel. And he is to this day. He's changed his name. He's had to move away. But Zev knows him. He knows where he is. And the man is preaching Jesus Christ. I mean, all of this Amen. stuff is in this new book and much, much more. That's the, the story in a nutshell, but it's, there's so much more than that in this new book. It's called The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and The Identity of Messiah.
0: Well, amen. And, you know, knowing Zev, uh, listening to things, folks, if, if you know Zev, this guy lives on the front lines. OK, yeah. w- the Lord has divine appointments for Zev frequently, daily, all the time. And, and he's yeah. getting himself into some type of they've tried to deprogram him. Uh, it's just you got to just they yeah. he is not the he's not the friend to the rabbis over there in Israel, when it comes to preaching Yeshua, he's unashamed and the Lord just is doing major things. But Pastor, you've already, even before you got into even mentioning about some of the things in this book, you started mentioning things that were not in the first book um, about oh, yeah. this. I've heard from Zev. I, this book, the first one in 2007, seven, the rabbi found Messiah that started a spark. Yes. That has been yeah. leading to revival. Um, share how this book here tells more about what's happened since the release of the first book yeah. uh, that's yeah. going on right now when it comes to – it's not just email. It's a lot more than that, isn't it?
1: Oh, oh yes. In fact, Zev has coined it as the Kaduri Revival. Now, of course, revival comes by the Holy Spirit, but what he means is Kaduri's proclamation. Listen, this is kind of equivalent – it's very similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was a rabbi. He was an Orthodox rabbi. Uh, but, uh, Paul hated Christians. He was trying to destroy the church and killing Christians and lining them up and putting them in prison. And And then the resurrected Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus. Paul had a, you call it a vision. You, you know, that's what Paul called it, but it was an interdimensional appearance. Jesus stepped through one dimension into Paul's dimension and revealed himself to him, blinded him, knocked him down. Paul was freaked out. Paul was psychotic. Paul thought he was going to die for three days until Ananias went to see him and, and uh, at, at, by an appointment of God. And then, of course, he's baptized. He understands what's happened to him. And then he becomes the greatest missionary, evangelist Christian the planet has ever known, responsible for writing almost one half of the New Testament documents, starting churches all over the Roman Empire. To this day, the church's existence in in America and around the world and in Western nations and all over the world, underground China, everywhere, pretty much owes its existence, humanly speaking, to the to the to the conversion of an Orthodox Jewish rabbi named Paul. And and here we have Kaduri, an Orthodox, a Kabbalist, which is the mystical, I mean, almost witchcraft part of Orthodox Judaism. I mean, 108 years old, steeped in it. He could care less about Christians and Christianity and New Testament. He didn't have a bone in his body of love for them. And in the midst of it all, in these last days, this man has a vision. He's confronted by Messiah he knows who he is. He's given specific instructions on how to reveal it to the world. And so in this day with internet, and this instantaneous information communication system um, now his message goes to the whole world and so I wrote that book and you 're right it went into the underground church it was you know translated in all these languages uh, uh, underground church in China over a hundred congregations heard the story many of them went into revival many people were saved he brings it back he 's on European television it brings about revival people are saved he 's in He's in Israel. He goes into synagogues. He goes to the Wailing Wall, the Kotel, the Western Wall. He goes into Muslim mosques. He goes into the streets. Um, he's telling the Kaduri story, and from there he's t- leading people into the scriptures, and from there he's leading them to Christ. Um, uh, people all over the world are reading the book. They're having revival. And then in the midst of it, once this really happens, it, and brothers, death threats, um, Zev has had direct death threats. So have these students of Kaduri's that have gone that went public. Uh, They've had death threats. Some of them have had to move. Uh, A couple of them have changed their names and identities. I mean, it's horrible. Zev was disinherited of forty million dollars from his granddaddy. His granddaddy was a very wealthy rabbi in cash and properties and buildings, and he left it all to Zev. But but the, but the will said that Zev had to sign a piece of paper renouncing Jesus Christ. Zev was with his wife when they went to the attorney's office. And, and Zev said, I'm never going to sign a piece of paper saying that I'm renouncing Jesus Christ. And the attorney, like a demon from hell, said to him, look, just sign it. Take the money. And, you know, it, uh, six months from now, you can tell the family you changed your mind, and they can't do anything about it. He said, just take the money. Take the money. Zev wouldn't do it. He just – he walked out. He left $40 million behind because he wouldn't sign the paper. I mean, all of this is in the book. All of the – people have come forward. We've got a witness now who knows what happened to the note. They destroyed that note, brother, and they did it on purpose because they needed to destroy the evidence of the handwriting. It was written in his own handwriting. And so if it was subjected to forensics, we could prove we could, we could prove now we've got a photocopy of it right off the internet. We took screenshots and that's in my book. You can see it with your own eyes. And everybody Zev, shows it to Hebrews in Israel. They freak out because they know it's
0: real. And then yeah, that they, was on Kaduri's own site, right? That note yeah, was, it was on, on his, his actual site, site until it was yes. decoded.
1: Yeah, until it was decoded, it was on his site. We've got photo uh, screenshots of that. They can't deny it, although they're trying. The deep state and the fake news is deep in Israel as well. brother. it's all over the world. It's demonic. Again, my book, Gods and Thrones, it explains that. It's the demonic powers behind the thrones of the earth, the religious thrones, the government thrones. It's We're in those days, brother. We're in the last days. And in the midst of all of this, God visits the most famous rabbi in Israel's history and in our day, and reveals himself like he did to Paul. And this rabbi reveals that the name of the real Messiah... I mean, brother, listen, this re- rabbi was world famous, and he was nationally renowned in Israel, and he basically threw his whole ministry away to d- to announce on his note in his own handwriting after his death that Jesus is the real Messiah. It basically just destroyed his his ministry, or or, you know, among the Jews... And that's why the deep state's been trying to cover it up, because he was so connected to the Israeli government, too, and the Israeli military officials. And so they they were trying to cover the whole thing up, and then I wrote the book and blew it out of the water. And then along comes Zev, and he and I start ministry together. We're all over the world ministering, and now here, you know, these years later – it's still the story is still exploding and getting bigger and bigger more witnesses are coming forward more evidence is being un- un- uncovered more evidence of the cover up the global cover up and so Zeb and I just a few months ago i mean i i i didn't want to write this book because it's so much work but i i just told Zeb i said Zeb brother we've got to tell this story there's just too much going on we're living in the last days And he agreed. And so we set about writing it. And, of course, Defender Publishers uh, wrote us up a contract said, yeah, we want to publish this. And now it's out there. It it released just six days ago. It hasn't had any major television media coverage yet, although we're book solid with big TV coming up soon. But in six days, it's already gone to number one bestseller in new releases in three different categories on Amazon and still climbing. That's just by word of mouth. So this is a big deal, brother and it's getting bigger and bigger. It is prophetic. It ties to the Old Testament. It ties to the New Testament. It ties to our headline news, and that's why we had to tell the story. So this yeah, this book pretty much makes the first book obsolete, and that's okay with me. And In fact, the, the publisher's defender, they've already hired a film crew. They're sending me to Israel in May. I'm going to hook up with Zev, and we're going to make a documentary movie about this, and we're going to update everything. So we're really working hard on this.
0: Well, Pastor, I mean, the documentation you have in this book, I mean, in the back, all your references, I mean, is ridiculously huge. And, uh, so I just want I, people I, to know
1: I, that I'm not making this up.
0: I, I agree, and I know Zev, and if anybody knows anything about Zev, he is straight. this He's as straight as an arrow. I mean, you know Zev. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't yep. play around. Uh, if he doesn't agree, he'll let you know right away also. <laughs> and, yep, yep. He's, he's black very, and white. And,
1: absolutely
0: absolutely and and what i like about this is this is a reference tool this is a reference Um, because it's about reaching people you know one of the things that i didn't mention when i was talking about what happened last weekend speaking was that one of my employees was there at the church uh with me and um he was born muslim in uh, morocco Uh and um he came that morning with me and um you know, my, even my own employee, You know, I, all I want to do is see people come to the Lord. And I, yeah. I couldn't believe the Lord did that the morning he was there because I know God is in the – I can believe it, but I, 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 I'm thankful because I know the Lord wants as many as will come. The door is yeah. open, the invitation, and the revival of what's happening in the Jewish world, in the Muslim world. Uh, it's absolutely unbelievable, and this book has – it's the document I was just looking at in the book, the actual picture of the note yeah, um, right that there. was there. from. Uh, and one thing, if you could just explain why Rabbi Kaduri wrote in code. if they, I think some people would yeah. wonder why he's doing that, but he did it for a reason.
1: Also, I want your audience to know that because of the time lapse between the first and the second book, I have listened to – and researched all of the arguments and objections to this story down through the years, and every one of them are answered in my book. I, the book is not disparaging. I don't attack anybody. I'm very gracious, but I just answer. I say, look, you know, they've said this, they've said that, and and here's the answer. Here's the answer, and then I document it. So I just want your audience to know that. And one of the questions you just asked was one of the objections. Well, if he really met Messiah, Paul didn't write anything in a code. He just went out and started preaching. Well, actually, Paul didn't write anything in a code that we know of, but he did not just go out and start preaching. If you read the Scriptures carefully, you understand that the churches were afraid of him, and they should have been. They thought that he was a fake. I mean, that would be like if Osama bin Laden when he was still alive. After the committing the nine eleven he says, "You know what? I think I'm a believer in Jesus, Carl, can I come preach at your church?" <laughs> Probably wouldn't have let him, you know not for a while, not till I knew that that dude was for real. Well, Paul was the Osama bin Laden of his day to the Christians, and so it was years before he was went up to the church in Jerusalem, and they finally received him, and he finally started preaching so Kaduri something similar. Now watch. I'm convinced now that I know everything, and Zev and I look back, not, excuse me, I don't mean to know everything, but now that I we know so much more, and now that we're years on the other side of this story, we both are convinced that this writing the note in in, in, in an encrypted format was a stroke of genius. It was God's direction to Kaduri, because think of it, brother. He did leave some witnesses. This is so cool. I mean, this is so, so spirit-inspired. He didn't just write a note and sling it up there. He left witnesses, but they were secret witnesses. They were, they were kind of in the background, and they were told, now, don't say anything about this publicly at all to anybody. Not that you're ashamed of your new faith, but there's a reason for this. If we wanted to go to the world, there's a way that God has shown me how to do this. Now, if you get out there in the streets tomorrow and start telling people about Jesus, they'll think you've lost your mind, I've lost my mind, the whole Yeshiva has lost its mind, and the and the message will go nowhere. So the students agreed. And so Kaduri puts it in encrypted format. Remember, he's the Billy Graham of the Jews. He's got a ministry as big as Billy Graham's, an internet ministry. He's got a multi-million dollar complex, the Kaduri Ministries. Brother, it's huge. And so he gave that note to his ministry officials. He said, put it under lock and key. After I'm dead one year, put it on the Internet. Well, when they, put, they opened it, they read it first, I'm sure. They didn't see anything about it that was scary. It was just some description of the office of, of, of Messiah. You know, he'll, he'll lead his people. He'll lift his people. He'll show that the word is valid. Well, sure. So they said, okay. So they put it on the Internet. Little did they know that the students were lying in wait <laughs> that they knew they knew how to encrypt it they knew that the co- and the instructions and were right there so they could show the whole world he's written it as an acrostic you idiots <laughs> and so when they exposed it to the world the ministry officials saw it they understood it they said oh my god and they pulled it down off the internet and destroyed it and said it's a fake it's a fake and of course then we say well then why'd you put it up there And how could it be a fake? It's in his own handwriting. And how could it be a fake? You're the ones that kept it under lock and key. And how could it be a fake? Because he gave it to you. And how could it be a fake? Because you put it on the Internet. The only reason you're saying it's a fake is because now it's been decoded, and the whole world has already seen it, and screen captures have already been made, and now some Gentile in the United States named Carl is going to write a book about it, <laughs> and he's going to hook up with Zev Peretz, who bo- who's born and raised there, and whose family's connected to Kaduri. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's Hallelujah. why it was done. It was done at the throne of heaven. I am certain Kaduri was not smart enough to figure all that out.
0: Mm. Hallelujah! Well, Pastor, that was—I'm I'm fired up and excited, and I appreciate you sharing this, folks. It, you got to get this book, "The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and the Identity of Messiah." It's not just a book; it is a tool to share. Share with your Jewish friends, uh, share with your Muslim friends, and share with your Christian friends. Wake them up and let them know these things are happening that are in the Bible. This is one book that's not just for reading; it is truly for sharing pastor carl thank you for blessing us by coming on to the show tonight
1: it's my pleasure god bless you tell folks just to go to my website Carlgallops.com. there they can read five or six chapters they can see all the table of contents 35 40 pages they can read Plus, they can order it. You can get it anywhere good books are sold, and God's going to use this. There's preaching, teaching, Bible studies in it. I mean, it's just it's just an amazing work. I'm not saying my, my writing's good. I'm saying the story is amazing, and mm-hmm. Zev and I have told it together from a first-hand
0: account. Amen. Well, thank you, and, fa- and folks, we have the link up to Pastor Carl's site. You can pick it up also on Amazon.com. I checked it out, so go out there and grab it. Pastor Carl, God bless you and everything you do, and we look forward to hearing from you again here on the Remnant Call. And to everybody here tonight, this is Brother Frank and Pastor Carl on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Shalom. God bless. shalom. God bless you. Thank you Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.